0: Hi, I'm Frank Daly, and this is That Sounds Interesting podcast. Today, my guest is Matthias Muller-Cray, who has had a very interesting career from a lawyer to an editor to a course developer most recently, and to being a speechwriter. The speechwriting is what we're going to focus on mostly, but we'll cover all the other areas. So welcome, Matthias. I'm delighted to have you on my podcast today.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
0: Matthias, as I mentioned in my introduction there, uh, you've had quite a varied career. Uh, and maybe we can just discuss some elements of that from when you move from being a lawyer into actually being an editor. And then we'll, we'll move on from that over time.
1: I finished my degree in 2004, my lawyer's degree, my bar exam. And... Um I I didn't really want to work in that in that in that field, but at the time the, the labor market for for people with a legal background was so terrible that I just I had to take on some freelance work as a lawyer and never really suited me. And then um yeah, I started to leave that work and well yeah, the, the recovery process from being a lawyer is still still going on. No, no. I tried to to try to find. I wanted to do something with writing, and I started to look for for work as an editor. But I mean, as we all know, like the publishing business is like is a is a dying industry, more or less. So it was um, it was really hard to to land a, a job, and I had no background, I had no formal training as an editor, and um, so it was quite hard. It took me over a year, but then I finally was able to to get a job and, and at least move into the direction of where I uh, wanted to go.
0: I know you worked for four, I think it's four years that you worked for as an editor in a legal area, I guess, using your background from being a lawyer.
1: I mean I, it wasn't really a legal editor's job, but it was my legal degree was what um, allowed me to get that job. So it was a legal publishing house that was basically working the area of like labor law and social law and they wanted to have like some kind of magazine, some journalistic publication that would would make it more more attractive to their customers to subscribe to their otherwise legal publication so it was really it was an interesting time it was like the um, it was the crisis of 2008 so many people many people got fired there was a lot of tension in the labor markets and, and working in that field at that particular time was actually very interesting.
0: How did you go from being um, an editor suddenly to being a speechwriter? That was quite a transition.
1: Yeah, I think the thing is that because the labor market was bad and also like I didn't really know what I wanted, the jobs that I landed as a a lawyer or later as an editor, they were all not they were all not like really I didn't really enjoy these jobs. And especially that my editor's job at the beginning at the end was there was a, a lot of tension, a lot of conflict. So I decided to leave and I decided to do something that I really wanted to do. The only problem was that I had no idea what that could be, you know? And all I knew was that, but I, I knew that I knew like, I knew that I wanted to be, that I wanted I wanted to have a job where I don't have to be in, in, in one specific city or in one, spe- in one office. And I knew that it should, ha- should have to do something with writing. And I wanted also wanted it to be like more lucrative than, than journalism, for example. Would be, and so I just had these 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 overall conditions that that I thought my new job should fulfill. And then I had a list of ideas, and one but that was pretty high on the top was speechwriter. So I decided to do that.
0: Oh, wow! Actually, <laughs> so so from from having no experience of being a speechwriter, you suddenly decided that you were going to. Uh, be a speechwriter. So I guess you had to take some training then, did you?
1: Actually, when I decided to become a speechwriter, I had never written a speech in my life. And, but I, I had written like editorials in, 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 in in our magazine. And I knew that this kind of more like emotional uh, um, and like the direct, like addressing your audience directly, that this was the kind of writing that, that I, I knew that, 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 it would suit me so and then I had like all kinds of writing experience and I took a three-day um so what I did when I decided to become a speechwriter I I found I tried to find out who's the like the speechwriter in Germany with the best reputation and I found that guy and I called him up and I said I'm planning to become a speechwriter and he said oh that's a great idea and of, of course he sold me one of his his like 3-day super expensive training courses right away. And I did that and that was actually my my formal training. I have I, I mean I have learned so much about speech writing and I have like read about it and and listened to and read big speeches and this kind of stuff, but this course was the the only formal maybe I should say that in public, but it's <laughs> but no, it's no, like no. the training that I had and I just took it from there and I, I was I was sure I could provide this this kind of service better than that better than many other people, and I've just offered it as a service and so far, I think my clients are quite happy with the way I solve their their problems
0: so um how did people find you then because you know you you're setting up as a speechwriter and um you're saying, okay hey, I'm a speechwriter, okay, you know how did people find where you were that you were what services you were offering how did what did you do for that?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it's, just like, I, I think that speech, speechwriter is a very unique, um, profession, not many people, um, not many, not many people do this kind of work. And was also like, there is demand, but there's also not so much demand. So like, you can't just set up a website and expect people to, to phone you up and, and hire you. So, and I knew that would be that, that marketing would be probably the biggest challenge, in this job and it still is a big challenge so i had a website that had to be well ranked and also like in the at the beginning i decided to uh really like to really go into it on the on the 2nd of january 2013 i think it was when i really went for it and then i just i i caught i did a lot of cold calling i called like I I, des, I decided to call five people who could potentially hire me every day. Cold calls, so it's not like talking to the secretary, but actually like like trying to get like the the people, the decision makers, on the phone. And I told them, "Hey, I'm a speechwriter." And, he's, and they, most of them would say, "What is a speechwriter?" Or, "Is that really a profession?" Or, "What do you want from us?" You know. And it was just, and they would say, you know, we have ne- we never need we have never needed a speechwriter. We probably never will. But also, like in that time, I found come and, but like every once in a while, you call somebody and they would say, "Oh, you're a speechwriter. That's exactly what we need right now." And some of my most important clients are still from that time.
0: A lot of changes were happening for you and in that case because you had moved from Dusseldorf to Frankfurt and then from Frankfurt to Berlin. Okay, so your locations had moved twice and um, your career had completely changed from what it was before and you were cold calling people to try and get business. So I guess it took a while to ramp up then.
1: Dusseldorf is my hometown and I, I still like it very much. I went to Frankfurt for... Uh, because I couldn't find a job anywhere else. And then I went to Berlin because it's this, this big city where just, and you say, and you tell people, oh, I'm starting over. Everyone, or m- most people you meet are just starting a new thing. And that was a very inspiring environment to, to actually do that.
0: Because of all the startups and because of the kind of the alternative aspect of Berlin, which makes it quite distinct in many ways different from many other cities in Germany, Um, it allowed you to feel that you could start up in a completely new career and be successful without feeling, I guess, in any way uh, um, constrained by uh, uh, the challenges that were ahead.
1: I mean, I know Frank, you have been to Berlin many times, and again, I think you can see that at every street corner that Berlin is a city that is just in the early stages of, like, you know, if, if Berlin was a person, it would probably be a teenager or maybe in their late teens uh, um, at the moment. And so there's so much change in that city that if you change yourself, it, it can be a very fruitful environment.
0: Of course, there's a lot of energy there really and a lot of can do and people want to try all sorts of different things. So that was good. So let's go back then to where you were talking about uh, you were cold calling people and you were trying to get, and they didn't know even though they wanted a speechwriter. And of course, let's talk about what type of speechwriting that you were selling.
1: So I I write speeches for for, for all kinds of speakers, but in the, the reality is that it's usually... Um, smaller companies that hire me. Um, the big companies, they have specialists to write speeches. And and in politics, in, at least in Germany, most institutions or members of parliament, they don't really have a, a budget to hire an, an outsider to do this kind of job. So, and I work for, yeah, it's small and middle-sized companies. And it's actually, it's also very interesting because there are so many mm, so many different. Germany is, is the whole country is based on the whole. The economy is basically based on what's called the the German Mittelstand, and there's very many very innovative and interesting companies, and it's really nice to to work for them. And these companies, they don't have anyone in their communications department often who is like specialized in in writing really good speeches and when they have really important events when they have like investors coming or it's a, it's an anniversary and i don't know the the the, the mayor the chancellor or whoever is coming then then they want a specialist and that's usually where i come
0: in so um, had you created a whole lot of sample speeches then so that they could um get an idea of what you were capable of or had you recorded maybe recorded them or possibly written them out or uh, so i mean they, you, they they're going to hire you to write a speech they probably want to know what you're capable of
1: that is that is the thing that's re- that, that is something really difficult because um like sample speeches is like speeches that i've written for somebody else in most cases even if, if I, I cut out the names and the name of the people and the, the places, whatever, it's in many cases it's it's quite easy to figure out who gave that speech for what occasion. And I mean discretion is one of the most important things for for anyone who is a speechwriter. You most like most of my clients don't want anyone to know that they hire me. So this is there's no for example, I ne- I almost never get Work through word of mouth. Even if my clients are super happy with my work, they they won't tell their friends or their their peers or their colleagues um, that they hired me because they want everyone to think that they themselves came up with well,
0: the work. Wow! So, so it's a kind of a ghostwriter, speechwriter. speech writer.
1: Yeah, here the word "ghost" <laughs> it really <laughs> it really applies. Yeah, it's it's difficult and for marketing, but on the other hand, since people value anonymity so much. They're willing to like search the internet and yeah, just Google speechwriter, and they're willing to get in touch with somebody they don't know because they want this discretion.
0: So you're uh, giving them the ability to look good, and you're I guess that's what the product you're selling is the ability for them to appear much better than they actually are in terms of uh, writing a speech and delivering a speech. Now, I guess there's a two th- distinct items there. One of them being writing the speech so that it actually is coherent and delivers the message in a good way and the second one is the timing and how the person actually delivers it and i guess you were probably selling services in both those areas i i
1: do coaching but it it rarely happens because it's it's still i mean maybe after the pandemic people will be more off more open to do that like Over the internet, over like Skype or Zoom or whatever, but so far, um, um, people would have to fly me in. And as I said, like I'm based in Berlin, and if you know Germany well, it's uh, the the middle-sized companies like my clients. They're not based in Berlin. There's not much business in Berlin. There's much more in like Frank, around Frankfurt in the south, in. In the in the Ruhrgebiet, in the Rhineland, Hamburg, this is where companies are. But very few of them are in Berlin, so they would have to fly me in to to coach them through the delivery. Uh, but most of them are happy with just the text.
0: From an advertising point of view, to getting those people, I guess you were starting to use like something like Google AdWords or. Other other services like at Facebook or other items in order to reach the people who were look. Or did you use other methods apart from the cold calling which you mentioned earlier on? Yeah,
1: I haven't done cold calling in a while. I maybe should get back to that because it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's very scary, and you you get a lot of rejection. But like, it's yeah, maybe like some um, some. I don't know maybe weightlifting is something like that it's not particularly joyful but it feels good after you've done that.
0: Yes, um, I guess there is that sales feeling of a salesperson who's managed to call somebody up who never met them before and get them to agree to buy something which they weren't they possibly wanted or maybe they didn't know they wanted but possibly needed and uh, and agree to so in those sort of cases though um does somebody just agree to do it, or do you have to create a sample, a sample of a of a speech, and then they re- read it over, and you go back and forth a few times until you get to where it is, or is it just to give you the heads of, of the items that they want to cover, and you write the speech, and then they just take it and and that's it, one shot?
1: Well, first of all, I can, so I can't really give them so many samples, but I usually promise them I work until you're you're happy, and if it takes like a lot of revisions then that's fine but also that that almost never happens because if i write a text and it's like very far from what the what my what my customer wants then the the communication beforehand went wrong so what we usually do um my my client and i we will talk on the phone and we spend as much time as necessary to figure out what the message actually is okay and so first i want to figure out what is it that you really want to communicate what do you want your audience to take home after that event and then we talk about how we could like how we could wrap that up in the speech and so there should not be any misunderstanding about what the message is what we actually want to communicate and then there might be details that we have to change that 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 the client says oh this I didn't like this anecdote so much can we do something else or this joke is a little bit like I don't know this is not my sense of humor can we change can we change that so the, the, the details that have to be changed um, and often I, I just offer like if if we exam for example if we decide to have a joke at the beginning so to 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 open up to loosen the the, the mood in the room then um, I might just should suggest three jokes and they can just pick the one that they like most.
0: Obviously, it's a key aspect to a good communication, which is having humor involved in the speech itself.
1: I advertise my services in Germany, so I think the reputation that Germans have of not being funny, I don't think that that is true. But there are many people who would say, like, many people who run companies who would say, when I give a speech, that is not a moment where I want to be funny or humorous. You know, so in that sense, many people are still quite serious. And so I can't sell as much humor as I would like to. Let's put it this way.
0: But I guess it's in the particular cases. I mean, we're going to move on in a while to talking about wedding speeches, which is a particular case where you probably find that humor is very important as opposed to maybe sell a a speech where it's a serious business Introduction and though even still even in those environments and I guess it varies from from company to company. But if there's a lot of people in the audience, I'm guessing they would want to warm them up a little bit with something, some piece of humor that gets them interested to hear what's going to follow.
1: Yeah, first of all, I think most of my clients say I want this, I want some humor in there. But then when you when you when you give them the option and say this is what you could say or these are three things that you could say in that situation often they say well you know let's just cut it out it's because it's because humor involves a risk in what humor involves more risk than 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 other ways of communication and i think Many people are still quite insecure about the their position being at the you know being on stage with a microphone and then when it really when it really comes to the point should I say that or not should I run the risk or not many people decide against it, which I find quite sad because humor can really be used very strategically in a speech to uh, to maybe you know if you are um, yeah you can get like you can draw attention to what you have to say if you make people laugh you can get their approval by making them laugh if they if they if they don't if you know from the beginning i'm not the kind of person that this audience will like it could help you a lot to like to get them onto your side by making a joke so it's, it's really something that they can use and should use strategically but Unfortunately, some people don't often don't want to run that risk.
0: I guess it has to be balanced with the possibility that, um, especially in these days of, in some companies, certainly, politically correctness being maybe over the top sometimes. But the fact is that uh, humor is often based around actually uh, finding something humorous about a particular section of a community and. that can sometimes be politically incorrect, but it can also be very funny. And so it's a a thin line, I guess, there between getting a lot of people on your side or alienating certain people because the joke didn't quite go down with certain people in the audience. Um, I
1: think there's something that, I don't know what it's like in Ireland, but I think um, there is something that British people are much better than Germans and that it's like laughing about themselves. Not taking themselves always so seriously, and so I think when I hear speeches that are given in England, I see that speechwriters there have have a lot more a lot more space to try things to be funny. And in Germany, it's there has to be when you when you talk about political correctness, you can't even touch any any area that might offend anyone. It's more you have to be the. The jokes have has, have to come from from something else, not from laughing about the speaker. Uh, yeah, you have basically have to like write in a surprising way in order to make people
0: laugh. So it's a, it's quite a challenge if you're going to have humor in there. So and we talked about how you had a lot of communication first of all with the person who uh, is you're writing the speech for so you know what the issue the issues are what they want to communicate how they want to communicate it who the audience are all those items are all in there and then you sit down and write the speech and when you've actually written the speech and and do they do they ever give you a recording of the speech afterwards or is it just you deliver them a script that they finally agree to and then that's it
1: very often unfortunately i don't i don't get any feedback so people would say oh yeah i like your text and they will pay me which is the the most important feedback that i want of course but then it's like some clients get me video recording sometimes i'm invited to the event to the event which is can be very interesting especially when it's like you know when it's like some when the event is some kind of importance but so, but often I I don't hear anything, and it's quite, it's it's quite sad. You you don't know. But also, I must say that first time I ever, I, I at the very beginning, I, I I wrote a speech for um for a lawyer. It was the head of a lawyer's organization, and I wrote a speech for him. And that speech was delivered in the Paulskirche in Frankfurt. You must know that Paulskirche is a is a very um, has a very, um, has a very historically um, a big meaning in Germany. It's the so-called the cradle of our democracy or the first attempt of democracy in Germany, and it's still like many important events are there. And then the speech was written, and the the, the speaker he read it like word by word, and I was sitting in the first row, and actually one of my former law professors sat like next to me. And it was, I was so uh, there was actually humor in there. I was really, I was so scared that this may go wrong. And this was one of the first speeches I'd ever written, and it was like, I wasn't sure if I wanted to experience that a lot because I think for most speechwriters, it's really, it's a very, very exciting moment where your words are performed by someone else who isn't the performer. So many things, like many jokes, that just go wrong and um so that's a very um that can be a very nerve-wracking experience
0: but, you know, if you make a comparison with, we'll say, a musician who writes some music for somebody else, they would like to hear how it sounded, right? How that person interpreted their music or, 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 you know, an actor, you know, if you wrote a play, you would like to see how a director and actors interpret it. So I guess there is there is some beneficial from it, but I can appreciate that it isn't always possible depending on in the business context. But what let's talk about for a second in the context of weddings because you've done quite a bit of work in that area of wedding speeches.
1: So yeah, when I started out as a speechwriter, I thought, or I think it's really important to get a lot of experience because I didn't have I didn't have the experience, and so I didn't have a background. Most there are many speechwriters who have like worked for a member of parliament or something, as an assistant. Uh, I had never done that, so I really wanted this experience of talking to a complete stranger on the phone, trying to figure out what they want to say. And write a text that they're happy with. And and writing wedding speeches, especially at the beginning, was one of the e- more, more easy ways to to get work. It's also not it's not really well paid because it's like pri- people private people paying it out of their own pocket. It's, it's different from writing a speech for a CEO for for a company. But I did that like a lot. The first couple of years, I wrote many many wedding speeches. And but it's also a lot of fun. You hear like you write this speech for the father of the bride who doesn't like the groom. You know, <laughs> you know it's just this is really like for a speechwriter. I think it's a great challenge. You know how do you how do you find the right words? And um, that was a lot of fun. It's just that that the the return you get like the the money is, is of or the long one, It's not really it doesn't really work. It's not really sustainable. So, but the nice thing about wedding speeches is, is that they're that the the situations are quite comparable. So everyone, every there's always there's always some level of tension between the the groom and the father of the bride, and there's always something that the the best man knows that he better shouldn't tell the audience, and it's like stuff that everyone can can play with, and yeah.
0: Okay, well, that's quite enjoyable, I guess, as well. And I guess you moved on and you created some books for for uh, for um, people writing speeches as well.
1: Yeah, most importantly, I created a website. So I didn't want I so I knew that most people who got to my website were interested in wedding speeches, but I also knew that ninety nine percent of the people who come to my website looking for like blog articles and something about wedding speeches they don't want or can't. Um, pay my fee so I created a website where all these little jokes that I know I collected them and so when you're like let's say your best man you can go to my website and you would see speech openers funny ways to introduce yourself you know how to make jokes about the groom and and this and there's a very big there I I must have like I, I it's probably thousands of of little jokes that for and it's for and I extended it for birthdays, for wedding anniversaries and whatever, so people can, can go to my website and just find the kind of jokes that I would probably include in the speech if I were to write it.
0: And do they buy those or are some of them free or maybe a mix of both? Some of them are free but it's a,
1: it's a paid service. Yeah. So for people who want to access all all the the little like nuggets that I've found over the years, people want to access all of them. They, yeah, they have to pay a fee.
0: Of course, of course. And they're they're getting huge advantage of years of writing speeches for various different uh, situations, I guess, as well. Um, So what about the teaching, the workshops? Can you tell me a little bit about those?
1: So first of all, I think um, if you start like, I started to become a speechwriter, but from the very beginning, I was very sure that I didn't want to just offer a service. I wanted to create a business, and I think the difference is that that if you just offer a service, you're just you're you're just like you work like an employee, but you are not an employee. People tell you what to do, and you do it. You you sell pretty much sell your time, and I wanted to do something that that is more scalable. This is why I designed the, the wedding speech website and I also wanted to teach because then I'm not giving my time to one person, but ideally to, to five or ten people in a room who, who I teach, who I help writing the speeches, who I can consult. So that was one of like the, the like early on when I started I, I just decided to, be, to get as much speech writing experience as possible. And then started teaching seminars on speech writing, and then I designed the, the, uh, the website. So I really wanted to become a business.
0: And then marketing that business, and we talked a little bit about it earlier on, but um, I guess the key thing is that people have to be able to find you and know what services are delivered. As soon as they want to do anything with speeches, they have to go and search and find you. So you use Google, I guess, primarily –
1: Yes, because Google works, or for me, social media doesn't work that well. For the simple reason, I, I would always compare myself with a dentist. You know, you don't. most people don't want to be connected with their dentist on Facebook. You know, and if their dentist buys a new, like, drill, they're not be going to be interested because as soon as the pain is over, the whole topic, they, they don't want to be, they, they, a dentist is interesting to you. When, you, when, when it hurts, and and this is the same with me. People even sometimes when I talk to people two weeks before they have to give a speech, I say, "No, it's absolutely no problem. I um, I can do that myself." And then, but after they spend let's say an entire weekend in front of like a like a completely empty word document, you know, then Monday morning the, their motivation to actually have somebody help them. Um, is is high enough, and then they will go online. They will maybe find a try to find a solution, mostly Google, but any kind of like search engine would would be beneficial to that. When people say I have a problem and I need to have it solved
0: right away, I guess that's that's uh, a, a key element in terms of getting your customers. So let's look a little bit of the more recent areas that you've been looking at in developing courses. I know you've recently developed an online course. Maybe you could talk about the experience of creating it from a content point of view, and also from all the learnings that you've had to do in order to be able to create a video course.
1: Um, I mean, you—I um, asked you for for advice about, especially about the technical aspects. But it was uh, the story pretty much is that I read in—I um, think in February last year—I read an article that said that um, the market for online courses would go up. Um, would would grow six times to the to the revenue of early two thousand twenty within two years. So and that was in, in, an article that was written before the pandemic. So when the pandemic struck, as you can imagine, like for a speech writer, this is a pandemic it's not really it's not really helpful to for your business because there are no events. So there are no speeches. So it was like a that was like a challenging time. So I thought, okay, what? But also, I, I, I didn't have like I didn't have so many deadlines and and didn't have so much stress. So I asked myself, what can I do? And I decided to d- design an online course. And I thought, yes, probably like I've taught courses on speech writing already, so I would probably have to just have to compress that in into a course, write it down quickly, and then perform it in front of a camera, and put it online, and that's it. And I thought it was like a maybe two, three months I would need for that. And then I think with all the, 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 the projects I've, 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 I've had in my business and in, in other areas of life, I think this was the most difficult one.
0: Well, there's a lot of different skills that you had to learn. Just, I should just uh, make a point here for people who uh, are listening to this on audio only that there is a bird uh, occasionally squawking in the background, and you're in the garden. Just so to give some context to what uh, that squawking that's been going on behind you. But, um, um, but going back to the, the the item here, there's so many different items in terms of creating the course. Creating, making the video yourself, uh, setting it up technically correct, uh, editing the video, creating the structure for the course itself, and then I guess creating a means by which that course can be purchased.
1: Actually, when the crisis struck, I was in 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 Barcelona, and so here in Spain we had a very strict lockdown. You were not allowed to leave the house. You could go like grocery shopping and take out the garbage, and that was pretty much it. And after a while, I found that they could go to the roof of the house. So I would, I would take walks on the roof, like walk in circles, and listen to podcasts about how to build audio courses. And these podcasts, they basically, they they want to sell you courses on how to do online courses. And and they make it sound so easy. They tell yeah, that's yeah, so easy and you do this and you do that and you make like, I don't know, two hundred K and you know, it's it's just and I listened to them, I I, I wouldn't say I believed everything I heard, but it, it sounded very promising and I was quite stressed out about the pandemic and everything and I thought, yeah, this is gonna be this is gonna be good, this is gonna be easy and then even to a course that I already taught in person to compress that and actually like videos that I perform in front of a camera, like it had to be really really dense um, little pieces of information. And even that took me so much time. It was such a, it was like, it felt like writing a book. And then once that was finished, I had to figure out the, uh, had to figure out how to set up the camera and the lights. That was very challenging. And then, as you may know, because I sent you my first attempts for feedback, you also have to perform in front of a camera. And I was, terrible. I was really not good at it.
0: It just needs practice though you know the thing is that and the thing is that you're trying to do a lot of things at the same time you're trying to deliver the course and you're recording the video yourself, so you've set it up on a camera, uh, sorry, on a tripod. You take the camera up on a tripod, and you've set the lights up and the microphone, and you have to check that all of the, everything is actually working correctly, and appear relaxed and deliver the content. So a lot of challenges in order to deliver a course.
1: Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, and this is like, also, you need to have the room, you know, and at the time, um so at the time I was I was recording. We were back in Berlin in our um, in our two like the apartment has two not very big rooms, and one room was for I think for two weeks was completely like it was the the the, the recording studio. So my girlfriend couldn't like use it. Was even on a personal level, it was really it was uh, it was challenging. And then I recorded everything. And then, of course, you have to edit it, and that also. I, I wanted to. Do, I wanted to do it myself. I wanted to control the entire process. And then I edited it, and I finally had everything finished. But I didn't want to put it on one of these on one of these um, um, platforms. I wanted to. I wanted to control the uh, the interaction that I have with my customers. I wanted to get the email address of the customers. So I had to set up a yeah like a course environment on my website which, um, yeah, which was also much more challenging challenging than I thought. So I didn't do it full time, but it took me an entire year from the decision to have an online course to actually have it ready to purchase on my website.
0: But you're set up now in order to do other courses and deliver other courses and sell those courses. And let's talk about the future a little bit now. And I know you're sitting in Barcelona at the moment, right, uh, in the sunshine, well, looks like it's sunshine from here. And I'm guessing that you're gonna stay there for a while. Are you planning to do further courses and further work from Barcelona? Or will you be coming back to Berlin in order to do some further work?
1: Um, well, the question where we uh, where we're actually going to live that's an ongoing <laughs> ongoing discussion. <laughs> but all um, well, right now it's it's not actually sunny, but it's, it's a little cloudy day. But it's really nice to be out outside in the garden. So I really love it here. Uh, I have to go back to Berlin at some point and then make a final decision where where actually uh, it's going to be like the where the home base is supposed to be. But um, going back to the courses, the good thing I think if you once you have like figured it out, how to make the course, how to shoot it, how to get like results that are at least good enough or even like good, like once you have that, you can. I could set up my environment. Like I have a bag that is maybe like this. Can you see like this size? And it it has the tripod, the camera, it really contains all the material I need. I work with a green screen and I could set it up almost anywhere. And I'm definitely planning to, to do more courses to, yeah, to, I want to really make this grow. And, um, yeah, the good thing about an online course is once, once you have it, there's not so much, I offer the course with coaching sessions. So I may have to like talk to, to my, to my customers about their, their speeches and their texts, like here and there. But basically the idea is to create more and more courses and to provide this kind of also environment for people who want to learn this particular type of writing or this particular type of communicating. I want to provide the environment where people can really from the start, from the basics of speech writing up to being really good and professional.
0: That sounds like an interesting and very exciting future ahead touring around different locations and uh, um, setting up and running courses and then trying to and then marketing them I guess uh, when you as soon as you finish completed editing them but it is a, it's a nice plan I have to say and uh, I'm sure the next stage of your online course which I know is completed now the first one is going to be the marketing of that while you're developing some other courses but um, let's wrap it up here at that uh, um, Matthias it's been really interesting to hear the journey of your life and of your work and how things have changed over a while thanks very much and um, uh, and it's been really good to have you on this podcast
1: my pleasure frank anytime
0: thank you bye